says that that barrier is like a veil. In the same way, a veil covers the glory and the beauty of a bride on a wedding day. This barrier, this veil, separates us from the glorious light of God. Sin is that barrier. It's our sin, our pride, it's our selfishness that separated us. desperately wanted that barrier to be broken for that veil to be torn down that whatever the cost whatever the price he was willing to pay it and that price was his son and his son took the pain and the punishment upon his own back he allowed the nails of our sin into his hands and into his feet he hung on a cross, and just like us, he was alone in the darkness. But what seemed to be a shocking defeat was instead the greatest act of love we'd ever seen. Because the moment he died was the same moment that the barrier was destroyed. The veil that separated us from God was at last torn wide open. And when it was all said and done, there was only one name that remained. You know, uh, before we get started this morning, I would love to open up in a welcoming prayer that God just consumes our service, consumes our lives, and consumes this moment as we honor and glorify Him. Lord, Heavenly Father, what a glorious day this is. We serve a risen Savior. Our life is made worthwhile because of You. Lord, we just come together as believers to honor and glorify you, praise your glorious name for this Resurrection Sunday, the hope of eternal life with you. So Lord, as we continue this service, not only through song and the reading of your word, but through your message to us today, continue to strengthen us. May we walk boldly in your service. May we proclaim your love, shine the light to a darkened world. And through it all, Lord, we do it for, for you, because of your love, because of your grace, because of your mercy. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, the arrest of Jesus uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane is over. His brutal treatment at the hands of Roman soldiers is over. The trial that found him guilty is over. 
The, the torturing and the mutilation of his body is over. The cruel nailing of his body to an old rugged cross is over. The bleeding wounds from his hands, his feet, his head, and his pierced side is over. The removal of his body from the cross is over. The burial of his body is over. The search for his body by the women who visited the tomb is over. All that Jesus had gone through is now over. His earthly body has been resurrected. Amen? His mission to redeem mankind has been completed. It's done. It is finished. Resurrection Sunday has been instituted and the very foundation of the New Testament church has been secured. And amen for that. So the question is, what's next? Maybe, maybe many of us need to meet Jesus again. Amen. This morning, we're not going to travel to the cross. We're not going to travel to the tomb. But we're going to go down what the Bible calls the Emmaus Road. If you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 24. And let's please stand as we have the reading of God's Word this morning. Luke 24... 13 through 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened uh, there in, uh, in the last days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, a, power, uh, a, a, a powerful uh, replied, in the word indeed before God and all the people. The chief priest and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. You may be seated this morning. You know, not much in, is shared in the Bible about this route of travel. We know it's about seven miles west of Jerusalem. And here we find two men whom we know are followers of Jesus. And how do we know that? They had seen the miracles. They've heard the teachings. Jesus promised that abiding in him, following him, his disciples would experience his life and become fruitful. They would be a people with a mission and a purpose in life. Yet in this passage, we find these followers, we find them sad. We find them 
possibly gloomy, fearful, perplexed, defeated, and I would say in retreat with no sense of mission or purpose in their life. The picture we have before us in this text is those walking away from the promise instead of towards it. Understand, they're walking away from fellowship of believers that were in Jerusalem. Now they're going to Emmaus. They're leaving other believers behind. We too are likely to miss Jesus and withdraw from strength found in other believers when we become preoccupied with our, with our shattered hopes and our frustrated plans in life, right? It's always sad to see defeated followers of Jesus Christ. We may call them the used-to-be's. They used to be teachers. They used to be singers and leaders and helpers and givers. They were model followers back when things were going well. Right? But something happened. Someone turned over their apple cart. They got their feelings hurt. Or maybe they came to grips with the actual cost of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Whatever the case, they have fallen by the wayside. Not faithful in attendance, not much Bible study, not dedicated to prayer, not much participation in fellowship at all. I wonder if this is something that we can identify with. Has something or someone come between your relationship with God? If so, you need to listen to the Emmaus story. In Luke 24, because the heartbreaking experience is only its beginning. These two men were blinded to spiritual truth. They didn't recognize that Jesus had come up to them and was walking, actually walking and talking with them, and they didn't even realize it. Despite scripture, scripture prophecies, they didn't believe the events that were happening around them or what they just walked away from, or understand the kingdom of God, or maybe not even King Jesus himself. Today, the resurrection still catches people by surprise. They still wonder. They still ponder. But perhaps this illustration that we have before us, it illustrates how Christians today may be ignoring God's Word and its careful application to the details of their lives and are walking independently of their fellowship with Jesus and His guidance in their life. If believers are ignoring His Word and His answers to life as found in Scripture texts, then they too can become filled with unbelief, as were these two followers that were on their way to Emmaus. They can become spiritually blind and insensitive to Christ's presence and working in their lives. Jesus was walking with them and they did not even recognize it. But notice what happens to, as I called them a few moments ago, used-to-be's. As the travelers make their way to Emmaus, a stranger falls alongside them. And we know, of course, by Scripture, this is the risen Jesus himself. But somehow they didn't recognize him. And yes, in fact, Scripture tells us they were kept from recognizing him. Very important. And it was an accident that they didn't, didn't notice who he was or that they were too preoccupied to look at him. It was so that we might 
be in the same position as we are some 2,000 years later? Aren't we somewhat like these two fellows that are walking in their journey of faith? Like these two on the road to Emmaus, we too must make do with other people's testimony of Jesus Christ in the Scriptures, as were them. Like the two on the road to Emmaus, we don't quite know what to make of it all, right? Did it really happen? What precisely happened? And how could it have happened? These men were, were sure they had a good reason for, you know, for their defeat or good reason for th this heartbreaking experience they were having on their way to Emmaus. I believe that it was qu quite clear in their, in their disappointment and confusion over the turning of events. They were just confused. They, uh, they were disappointed with what was going on. They were looking for answers. They wanted to understand. Their conversation was inadequate. And their discussions were, were weak because their discussions were not founded on scriptures. And we'll see that in just a moment. Their discussions were not on what the Lord had taught them or what they've heard and what they saw. So as they were walking, they were hopeless for the future ahead of them because they trusted their own thinking over the Word of God. Aren't we often just like that? We can come together and we can reason and we can discuss, but just being together to share our experiences and ideas uh, for the purpose of, of comforting one another or... Uh, Understand this, that alone cannot truly answer the main question and problems of life or even give us peace. Just in those discussions. We need something more. Much more. And what we need is an ongoing relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we need a continual desire for the Word of God in our life. So, as this stranger, which we know is Jesus came to them, he asked the reason for their sadness. And you see this in verse 17. And then in verses 19 and 20 of our text, it's interesting to note that the blame of these two men are laid on the chief priest and the rulers. But there's no mention of the fact that when Jesus was arrested, none of his disciples remained with him. They scattered. They left. And then in verses 22 through 24, here they discuss the rumor of the resurrection versus the possible idea that the body was stolen. And it tells us in scriptures, but him they did not see. Is there maybe just a touch of disbelief in those words? Look at verse 21. Verse 21, I think, is very important. It says, but we are hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. This scripture, this verse, I believe, is the real reason for their defeated state of mind. Quite simply put, God did not work the way they thought God should work in their life. The disciples were counting on Jesus to rescue Israel, the nation, from the Roman rule, from their enemies. They were discouraged with Jesus. It didn't happen that way. Have you ever been discouraged with Jesus? Right? 
The problem is like with these men, we really don't know what we're at times talking about. Everyone who comes discouraged or falls away from Jesus Christ think they have a good reason for doing so. Some will sometimes say they don't want to go to church because of the people. But let me remind you that you go to church with people, not because of people. Some want to say that there are liars, there are cheats, there are hypocrites in the church. And my response is always, yes, there are. Always. You'll find them everywhere. But you know what? There are liars in your workplace, cheaters in your neighborhood, hypocrites in your family. And I don't see many people quitting their jobs, hiring a moving van, and relocating, or disowning their family members. Amen? And the list can go on, but believe me, each one thinks they can justify in turning their back on God who saved them and called them into the kingdom of life. I've got a reason I'm doing this. But notice the response Jesus gives the two in verse 25. He goes, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. He doesn't make excuses. Jesus doesn't make any excuses here. Nor does he waste any time trying to, to smooth out those rough, ruffled feathers that these two have as they're traveling along here because things weren't going the way they wanted them to go. He goes right to the heart of the matter. The problem is not in others. The problem is in you. The problem is in me. Jesus knew that all the answers they needed could be found right here in scriptures. And Jesus knew this. You don't need another church. You don't need another gospel. You don't need better company. You don't need more freedom. The answer is very simple, people. Very simple. You need the living word of God. A heart-searching experience that was taking place in these two men's life can also take place in your life. As these two were speaking to this stranger, which is Jesus, notice the use of past tense in this text, which strongly implies that Jesus wasn't relevant to the present, what was going on now. Or otherwise, they wouldn't have been in their present downcast state of mind. They wouldn't be upset. They wouldn't be uh, depressed. Their experience with Jesus was in the past. Oh, he's dead and gone now. And they thought they were alone. You know, we've all heard exciting testimonies of what Jesus has done in the past, haven't we all? We have our stories. But what about the present? What about now? What about today, this Resurrection Sunday? The past is history. The question must be this. Is Jesus a present bright reality to those who give their experience or their testimonies to you and me? Do we always recognize Jesus with us? Always. Because if we did, just maybe. Sure, our downcast would be not so much.
Life has many distractions, right? Hard work, routine stuff, fatigue, illness, which can grind us down so that we're just, we just carry on on autopilot. We just do what we do. Never lifting our eyes, our minds from the dust of this eternity, uh, uh, this earth that road that we travel in life. We just get on autopilot. We become unaware of the glory and the strength of the presence of Jesus with us now. Right now. Life loses its meaning and leaves us washed out. But understand this, this story in Luke 24, this passage, let me tell you, gives us hope. It gives us hope. Jesus is still here. He's that unseen stranger walking with us, listening to us. Are we willing to hear his voice revealing himself to us? Are we? As the two disciples spoke of the cross, Jesus took hold of their confusion and their sorrow and gave them a heart-searching experience. And this is wonderful. So how did Jesus do it? He pointed, he pointed these two gentlemen that were on their way to Emmaus to God's self-revelation in scriptures. Look at verse 27. And Jesus says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in scriptures concerning himself. Jesus gave the Emmaus travelers the greatest Old Testament explanation in history. And he did it with a congregation of two. Two. Then the pieces of the puzzle began to come together for those two. Here was proof that Jesus fulfilled that which had been prophesied over the centuries. That these Old Testament anticipations of his passion and his triumph of, of life over death proved that he is indeed the Messiah, the Christ. So these two disciples couldn't have expected that sharing their problem with a stranger on the Emmaus Road would bring them towards a solution. And it absolutely did. But there was more to it than that. Christ wasn't there beside them simply to help them find answers. He was in the problem itself. Look at verse 26 of our text. Jesus said this, did not the Christ have to suffer these things? When Jesus comes into our lives, probing our thoughts, it's the purpose of blessing us. But how do we respond? Do we, like the disciples from Emmaus, welcome this initiative and let him minister to us, speak to us, walk with us? Or do we want to keep walking and explaining what previously puzzled us and we just live there? Sometimes the things Jesus reveals are uncomfortable as he invades our thoughts, our conscience, and the private areas of our lives. It gets pretty sticky, right? But watch this. The two accept the general rebuke that Jesus gave. Get verse 25. How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe 
all that the prophets have spoken. How foolish. You knew all of this. And perhaps the key word in verse 25 is the word all. It wasn't they hadn't read the prophets of old, but perhaps, and we do this often, but perhaps they read the scriptures selectively, concentrating on the parts that spoke to what they wanted to hear and exclude what they did not want to hear. When they had been given the explanation from the scriptures, they reacted very clearly and passionately. And in fact, they wanted even more. Give us more. They wanted this more heart-burning experience to happen in their life. So their journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus must have seemed just like a few minutes. Being so wrapped up in this absorbing conversation with it at the time was the Lord Jesus Christ, but they didn't know it. They had not recognized him. And verse 28 informs us as they approached the village to which they were going. Watch this. Jesus acted as if he were going further. As he was going to depart from them. Understand this. When it comes to our relationship with Jesus, Jesus will not force himself. If he's not really wanted. He waits for the invitation to come. Let me take you to a scripture in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. As Jesus is speaking to the church, he says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat or sup with him and he with me. Very interesting. I, I would imagine that many of you have read that uh, scripture time and time again in your life. And you're, you're well aware that there's this famous picture of this scene of Revelation 3, verse 20. Of Jesus knocking at a door. But did you ever recognize that there's no doorknob on the picture? Some of you may have. But I believe there is one. But you know what? It's on the inside. Right? This is very much the situation we see in our passage this morning in Luke 24. It was a test to see if the two disciples, the two followers, had a hunger for the things of God. And guess what? They did. They did. We want more. They urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. Come in. Sup with us. Eat with us. It was in this action, in this moment of breaking bread, that in an instant, they knew it was Him. They were in the presence of Jesus. I can almost imagine that these two were, were standing in, ama in amazement. They were probably even embracing each other in great joy. And then asking each other, in verse 32... Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? How powerful is that? The word of God, the living word of God. When we get into his word, it speaks to us. It changes us. It brings passion into our lives. It brings new direction in our life. 
It makes our faith journey, our road to Emmaus, more enlightened. Do you see the revival, the renewal that takes place just in this short passage, in this journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus? And these men were made to realize their victory that they had in Jesus. What an amazing story. What an amazing journey. Their world now was coming together again. A heart-burning passion experience is something that we all need. We need it in, in, in conversion experience where God is changing your life. When the Spirit of God makes us realize that we need Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Oh, we love the Savior part, but we often leave out the word Lord. That's one of the scriptures we toss aside that we struggle with. Maybe today is the day that Jesus is sitting right next to you and said, listen, let me tell you a little bit more about who I am. Maybe we need to meet Jesus again. Because the God who called you is still the God we worship. The Lord who saves you is still the subject of teaching. The Bible that informs you is the, the Bible, the word that we proclaim. The spirit who washes you is still the spirit who empowers this congregation. He's the same spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that resides in all believers. Even now, some of you are walking that Emmaus road. You're on that journey, trying to figure things out. Where are you in your experience? Where are you in your faith journey? Are you still heartbroken because you need to meet the risen Savior? Do you need to meet Jesus again? I promise you there are people that need to meet Jesus again. Perhaps you're still in this heart-searching process. If so, let it continue because it will lead you to this heart-burning passion experience that you need in your life. There is a reason for life. And it's the opposite of what you think. A few years ago, I was sent a very interesting and thought-provoking story via email. This was several years ago, and it illustrates how God can use our experiences to help others come to Him and, and, uh, and give our lives meaning and purpose, even in the midst of, of pain and discouragement and failure. And the story was called, it was called Carrot, Egg, or Coffee. Strange. So I had to read it. But it seems that a young woman went to her mother and told her about her life and how things were just so hard and difficult for her. She didn't know how she was going to make it, and she just wanted to give up. She was tired of fighting. She was tired of struggling. It seemed as one problem was solved, another one would come. It's a story of many of us, right? Her mother took her to the kitchen, and she filled three pots with water. In the first, she placed carrots. In the second, she placed eggs. And in the third, she placed ground coffee beans. She let them set and, and boil without saying a word. 
And about after uh, 20 minutes, she turned off the burners. She spooned out the carrots, placed them in a bowl. She removed the eggs, placed them in a bowl. She then ladled the coffee out and placed it in a bowl. Turning to her daughter, she asked, tell me, what do you see? She replied, I see carrots, see eggs, see coffee. Pretty obvious. And, and she brought her closer, and she asked her to touch the carrots. She did, and noted that they were very soft. She then asked her to take an egg and crack it open. After peeling off the shell, what did we discover? Hard-boiled egg. Finally, she asked her daughter to sip the coffee. The daughter smiled, and she tasted its rich, flavorable aroma. So the daughter then asked, well, Mom, what's, what's the point of all this? Her mother explained that each of these objects had faced the same adversity, boiling water, but each reacted differently. The carrot went in strong, but what? It was hard, it was unrelenting, but after being subjected to the boiling water, what happens? It became soft. Look at the egg. The egg was very fragile. It has this thin outer shell, which protects its interior. But sitting through the boiling water, the insides become hardened. The ground coffee beans were very unique. After the beans were in the boiling water, they, they changed the water. The mother asked her daughter, which are you? Are you the carrot? The egg? The coffee? When adversity knocks on your door, when your life gets, seems just like all confused and messed up, how do you respond? Aki carrot, an egg, or a coffee bean? God desires for each one of you to walk with Him. Every day of your life, in a close relationship and fellowship with Him, so He can fulfill His plans for your life. And trust me, his plans are always better than ours. Always. The Emmaus 2, as I begin to close here and the praise team comes forward. The Emmaus 2, no doubt, had walked this way many times before in their life, yet this day would be different. It was time for a life-changing encounter with the Lord. This encounter with Jesus caused them to, to burn again. It caused them to return to Jerusalem. They, they left their home and headed back to Jerusalem, the place of promise, of, of preference, of purpose. The ways of God are not always obvious. So you must be open to allow him to enlighten your understanding. To take you to a new level in your spiritual experience in life. Life will never be the same. Do you need to meet Jesus again? I have no idea where you are in your relationship 
with Jesus Christ? I have no clue. Because we're all at a different point in our life. We're all on this road of a mess. And understand this. On your faith journey, God is always there. And He's always speaking to you. He's always walking with you. And He's always there to love, care, encourage, give you grace and mercy. All we have to do is listen and look up. So I ask you again, do you need to meet Jesus again? Over the next couple of minutes, we're going to have a song sung by the praise team. I am confident there are people that need to meet Jesus again. What a better day than to meet Jesus on Resurrection Sunday. His presence is here. He's walking with you in your journey. So I pray as this song is, is sung by this group of people here, believers, as we continue to worship God, you take the journey. You take the journey to this altar. And in that process, listen to what God may be speaking to you about and concerning your life. So I pray you take this moment and you meet Jesus again. Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, You are the great Redeemer. You are the purpose of life. You're the one that brings hope, opportunities, purpose, and reason for everything that we do. And Lord, I pray that we look for your guidance and direction. Not only in our homes, but in our workplace, in our schools, in our social lives. And most importantly, as we gather as a body of believers on this very special day. May we begin to build that foundation even stronger as we walk with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.